Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. It's Tuesday, the 10th of October in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Israel unites. A fractured country comes together after a horrific attack that killed hundreds. Netanyahu says his country's response will reverberate with their enemies for generations as fears of mass civilian casualties grow. And we'll bring you the latest from the Labour Party conference in the UK, where Keir Starmer is set to warn that the country faces a difficult path to recovery. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. More than 900 Israelis, mostly civilians, are now known to have died in Hamas's surprise attacks at the weekend. Nearly 700 Palestinians have been killed during retaliatory strikes. A survivor of the attack by Hamas on the Supernova Festival in Israel says his escape was terrifying. Hai Cohen says he dodged bullets as he drove through a field with his girlfriend to get away from the violence. He described some of what he witnessed. We saw the jeeps and the motorcycles of Hamas pushing young children that they was under effect of drugs and, and, and alcohol. They just butchered them. While High Cone and his partner made it to safety, Israeli authorities are still trying to identify and remove the bodies of over 250 people killed at the event. Many others have been taken hostage. A spokesman for Hamas told Al Jazeera that the Palestinian militant group is preparing to kill them should Israel strike civilian homes in Gaza without warning. Israel's army is now planning the largest mobilisation in the country's history, calling up 300,000 reserve soldiers to fight. The Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, says the response to Hamas has only started. I know that we all want immediate results. It will take time, but I promise you, dear Israeli citizens, at the end of this campaign, all of our enemies will know that it was a great mistake to attack Israel. What we will do to our enemies in the coming days will reverberate with them for generations. Netanyahu's comments come as the country's armed forces continue to launch airstrikes against the Gaza Strip. Israel's military often instructs civilians to evacuate before it hits apartment or office towers in Gaza, where civilians might be present. However, residents in Gaza now say buildings are being hit without warning. Of the 687 people reported to have been killed in Gaza, the health ministry says 140 are children. Senior Hamas official Ali Baracha warned against an all-out assault on the Palestinian territory. Our allies are ready to join the fight if Gaza is subjected to a war of annihilation. They will not sit with their hands tied. The government of Israel knows they will open the gates of hell if they try to destroy Gaza and to use non-traditional weapons to destroy Gaza, like American weapons. 
Ali Baraka's call for support comes as America's most senior military official, General Charles Q. Brown Jr., warned Iran to not get involved in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Speaking to the Financial Times, the chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff said, we do do not want this to broaden, and the idea is for Iran to get that message loud and clear. Meanwhile, the U.S. government says the first shipments of security aid to Israel are already on the way. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. There had been some question about what the U.S. could do, but National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says it's important that the aid go now and more will be on the way soon. Meanwhile, Kirby on MSNBC says there is no known direct link between Iran and Hamas on the initial attacks. No, we do not. We don't have any specific intelligence or evidence that points to direct participation by Iran. That said, of course, uh, Iran has long supported Hamas and other terrorist networks. And the president is set to make an address later today. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Top Federal Reserve officials increasingly feel that another rate hike may not be needed after a recent surge in U.S. borrowing costs. Speaking at the National Association for Business Economics conference in Dallas, Federal Reserve Vice Chair Philip Jefferson said he's watching the increase in Treasury yields closely. What I think about is the real rate that is required to bring aggregate supply back into balance with aggregate demand. I think current policy is restrictive and putting downward pressure on the inflation rate. And that's really what my concern is. Jefferson went on to say that he will, quote, remain cognizant of the tightening in financial conditions through higher bond yields. His comments were echoed by Dallas Fed President Laurie Logan, who also spoke yesterday, saying that elevated borrowing costs could do some of the work of cooling the economy for us. That's reflected in the markets, which believe there's only a 20% chance of a quarter point hike at the upcoming policy meeting. And here in the UK, the Labour Party leader Keir Starmer will today warn that the country faces a difficult path to recovery as he urges voters to put their trust in him and his party. Starmer will tell Labour's annual conference this afternoon that, quote, what is broken can be repaired, what is ruined can be rebuilt. The speech comes after the shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rachel Reeves, told Bloomberg's Lizzie Burden that Labour plans to fight the election on the economy. We won't borrow to fund day-to-day spending. We'll bring debt down as the share of our economy. And then only subject to that, we will invest in the things that can boost our productivity, working in conjunction with business to unlock further private sector investment. Rachel Reeves also says Labour will use government borrowing to invest in British industry if it wins power. While popular with many, the move risks playing into typical conservative attacks over the party's fiscal discipline. Well, let's bring you more now on the attacks in Israel as we are joined by our head of Middle East and North Africa, Stuart Livingston Wallace, who's in Dubai and in London, our EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson. Ros, to you first. We heard from an international point of view, the leaders of the US, Germany, France, Italy and the UK spoke last night about the situation in Israel. What came out of that call? Well, an initial statement, of course, strongly supporting Israel and condemning Hamas, but not 
a lot more beyond that for now. Uh, Europe is unlikely to want to get uh, caught up in the military aspect of things. Uh, Israel is very much a US ally, and that's where the military ties lie. Uh, of course, Europe is worried about their citizens. They're worried about what's happening inside Israel. Uh, they've lit up their parliamentary buildings in places like Germany and the UK. But there is that caution um, about sort of supplying military aid uh, to Israel or getting involved militarily. And in some places, there is a sense of empathy over the years for the challenges facing Palestinian people. That's not to say they endorse the actions taken on the weekend by Hamas at all, but it's not as clear-cut for some people, some some officials really in Europe uh, as when Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, so you're seeing protests in these countries in Europe, both supporting Israel and supporting those advocating for a separate Palestinian state. So you are seeing that general statement of support overnight from Israel, but it's a little bit more complicated than, say, the immediate aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that played out as well at an EU level yesterday where there was an announcement from the European Commission that aid to Palestinians had been suspended. Now, that was subsequently reversed. EU foreign ministers are meeting today and say they'll be reviewing humanitarian aid. Talk us through what happened in the EU. Well, that's right. We got that announcement. It was going to be suspended. And then late last night, the idea, no, it's actually going to be reviewed, but not suspended. And they will discuss that today. Um, it came after the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. He spoke with his uh, European Council President counterpart, Charles Michel, and said, hang on, uh, this is humanitarian aid uh, that Europe provides. It's aid aimed at supporting Palestinians who reject Hamas. Uh, and in this situation, we're seeing, for example, in the Gaza Strip right now, uh, that the the living conditions for people there for quite some time have been poor. And the aim of this is to reach those people and to support them regardless of their political affiliation. And some states say they weren't consulted on the initial decision, including Spain and Ireland. And so what you saw was this late night reversal, at least now, an idea it's not going to be suspended, it will be discussed today. What more have we heard from the United States, Roz, about the aid that they're providing to Israel? Well, this is also a bit complicated because of domestic politics right now in the US. There is no House Speaker and they've got to sort that out so the business of the House can resume. Of course, the Biden administration could do some unilateral announcements around aid, uh, military aid, but they've been a bit cautious there also. I mean, the US provides already more than $3 billion uh, in military aid to Israel every year. They've said they're going to support Israel in whatever way is needed. Uh, that sort of diplomatic support, strategic support, and possibly further military support. But we haven't really heard a lot of specifics about that so far. Um, and of course, Israel is a well-equipped military, but also that soldiers are already seemingly running short on, on kit, according according to some reports. Uh, and so you're going to see this possibly get caught up a bit also in the wash of US domestic politics. OK, Rosalind, stay with us. We're going to turn to Stuart Livingston-Wallace now, who joins us from Dubai, our head of Middle East and North Africa. Stuart, I wonder if we could start by just updating us on the security situation in southern Israel this morning and the efforts that are being made to secure the release of the hostages being held in Gaza. 
Yeah, good morning. So, so it's, it's still, things are still a little bit murky. We know that they have regained full control over certainly the majority of areas that were infiltrated on Saturday and into Sunday. But I think there is still a concern that uh, there are Hamas militants knocking around somewhere inside Israel. There's no great certainty with that. The regular IDF, that is the Israeli Defense Forces, briefing kicked off about 10 minutes ago. So we'll know uh, what the latest situation is, hopefully in detail, in about 10 minutes from now. Um, to the north, again, we've had uh, a few incidents, but nothing serious uh, on the border with Lebanon. We've had some uh, rockets fired over, or rather mortars fired over, and some retaliatory responses there. We did have some infiltration, but again, it was characterized as relatively low level and seemed to be mopped up relatively really quickly. Um, so for things, as things stand right now, uh, at least on the ground, things appear to be getting better in terms of regaining control. But uh, as you know, there is a, a long way to go uh, in this conflict. In terms of the hostages, we know that Qatar has been trying to broker some sort of deal since Saturday. Really not clear if they're getting anywhere. And, and I think anyone, everyone would be very surprised if that was resolved soon. Uh, we think, uh, based on comments from the U.S. government yesterday, that there are Americans involved. But again, no one quite knows the number in total. Uh, you know, we've been hearing all sorts of numbers. It's probably more than 100, but it could be a great deal more than that. Uh, so in terms of where we go next on that, again, we know the FBI is involved in helping out the Israeli authorities and figuring out how many there are and where they are and what they can do about it. But again, rather like the situation on the ground, things remain quite murky. We have, of course, seen this series of airstrikes taking place uh, in Gaza. I wonder what more you can tell us about what we th- we know about what Israel is preparing to do next in its response to these attacks. Well, so far we've not had clarity. I mean, as, as things stand, uh, we continue to get attacks from both the land and the sea into Gaza. Uh, the death toll in Gaza is, is into the several hundred now, and, and broadly speaking, uh, again, this is from the Israeli side, they're going after what they consider to be military assets, so that is tunnels, that is houses where they say Hamas meet, that even includes mosques that, again, the Israelis say Hamas are using for operational purposes. Uh, but we know they've targeted residential buildings as well uh, on the grounds, uh, as they portray it, as uh, being places where Hamas are operating from. Uh, clearly, everyone is watching and waiting to see whether you're going to have troops on the ground, that is, Israeli troops on the ground in Gaza. Uh, the Israelis themselves have said nothing definitive on that so far. Uh, we had Ron Berber on uh, yesterday. Now, he's one of uh, Netanyahu's closest allies in the cabinet. Uh, and we asked him that question specifically. And again, he was very careful not to give anything beyond what Netanyahu himself has said. But obviously, the rhetoric coming from the Israeli government has been, uh, you know, pretty strong. But we've had no specifics yet on what that might be or when, or when it might happen. We've been watching very closely the commentary around Iran's role, uh, whether or not it supported or uh, helped Hamas prepare for these attacks. What more have we heard about the role of Iran in this? Well, everyone's being very cautious. Um, I mean, I think the furthest that anyone's gone is probably Ron Berman saying something along the lines of initially we didn't think that they were directly involved. He then said, now there's some evidence that they might have known about it, uh, but that they were still working to verify that evidence. But again, there's a wide gulf between 
perhaps being aware of it in advance and being actively involved in planning and the operational side of it. You know, similarly, the U.S. has been repeatedly asked, do we have any evidence that they were directly involved? Uh, and again, we had uh, the National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, yesterday saying that there wasn't any specific intelligence or evidence that points to the direct participation of Iran in the attacks against Israel. So for now, uh, I think the, the, the general view is that there is no evidence for it. But again, there is a long history there of Iran providing support to Hamas. But the question now is, were they directly involved? Did they know about it? Did they not know about it at all? And I think that's what everyone's trying to figure out right now. Rosalind Maslin, turning back to you, what what have we heard from other international powers in this as well? We've been watching the US Senate leader Chuck Schumer meeting China's President Xi yesterday. Well, so far it's been fairly quiet from countries like Russia and China. Uh, China's expressed sadness at what has happened and called for calm, but has not condemned Hamas. And so there was that criticism there yesterday that you mentioned from uh, Chuck Schumer. But China's response is, is hardly surprising. It's in line with its general approach not to be drawn into conflicts like this on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it said similar things, but didn't really condemn Russia throughout calling for ceasefires and the like. And of course, China is quick to spot an opportunity to try and drive a wedge between other nations, particularly between the US and other nations and exploit them. And, you know, in Ukraine, there was a case of nations who didn't want that war to carry on. So it's, it's a bit more complex, though, for countries as they may not feel it's as clear cut as Russia going into Ukraine. Um, but at the moment, what we're seeing is like Russia, China, uh, perhaps sitting on the sidelines watching developments, but not wanting to get directly pulled in. Okay, our EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson, and our Head of Middle East and North Africa, Stuart Livingston-Wallace, thank you to you both for joining us with the latest on this story. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, turning to politics here in the UK, Keir Starmer will tell his party's conference that the UK faces a difficult path to recovery as he urges voters to trust Labour to rebuild the UK after 13 years of Conservative rule. His keynote speech is the main event at the conference in Liverpool today and Caroline Hepker is live there for us this morning. Caroline, good morning. Very good morning to you, Stephen. Look, let's start with the day yesterday, shall we, here at Labour Conference. It was a hugely ambitious day. Rachel Reeves received a hero's welcome and delivered a very persuasive speech. She has claimed the Tories' usual stomping ground of the economy ahead of an election that Labour says they are preparing for as early as next May. Labour gave a clear response to the Hamas attacks in Israel, which could have uh, been derailed by the previous leadership who were here yesterday in Liverpool. Now, though, as you say, Stephen, the party awaits Keir Starmer's speech in which he's expected to say that what is broken can be repaired, what is ruined can be rebuilt. So the former Bank of England economist Rachel Reeves described the mini-budget last year from the Conservatives as devastation and voters' trust in the Tories' handling of the economy has more than halved since March 2020, according to a YouGov poll. 
So addressing a packed hall, Reeves talked about boosting investment, increasing house building by easing the planning rules, scrapping non-DOM tax breaks, rebuilding infrastructure, including the electricity grid, all to spur desperately needed economic growth in the UK. The reception that she got from investors and business was positive and it is really notable that they are here in Liverpool in numbers not seen previously and that they are listening so attentively. So here is the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves. In the two and a half years that I've been Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, I have reached out to business. And I think you can see that in the speech that I delivered today, where I set out that the lifeblood of any successful economy is private business investment. And the, the plans that I set out, whether that is a reform of the planning system, the stability that we need to underpin and provide the foundation of a successful economy, are all ideas that have been generated in conjunction with business. Because we do need to get Britain building, and that means giving business the confidence to invest, but also giving them a reason to invest here in Britain. And that's what I hope I did at conference today. Well, lots of them are non-DOMs. And if you abolish the non-DOM regime, but it doesn't raise as much money as you expect, are you still going to stick by it on ideological grounds? We've got a loophole in our tax system whereby... You can live in Britain and major Britain your home, but because your father was born somewhere else, you can pay tax in a different jurisdiction. That is outdated and it's not right, and Labour will abolish it. And we will use that money to put into our National Health Service and for breakfast clubs at all primary schools. But we've worked closely with businesses and investors to make sure that uh, we do not deter uh, foreign investment. We're determined to get that investment here in Britain, but that tax loophole will end with the Labour government. I mean, you're a former Bank of England economist. You know the law of unintended consequences. If the money isn't raised as you expect, would you revive the measure under a different name? Well, if you look at what uh, Gordon Brown did with George Osborne's reforms for non-DOMs, a lot of people said it won't raise the money, people will uh, go and live elsewhere. That didn't happen. And what did happen was the tax revenue came in. And we've got public services in Britain today that are on their knees. We've got 7.7 million people on hospital waiting lists. We can't go on like this. And that's why we are taking this straightforward measure, bringing us into line with countries around the world that don't have these loopholes, and ensuring that if you make Britain your home, you pay your taxes here, and putting that money where it belongs, in our National Health Service. So you promise you'll be cautious about borrowing to invest, but we've got debt at 99% of GDP already, yields are high. The reality is we just don't know how the market's going to react to borrowing even more, do you? Well, I set out the fiscal rules that I would stick to with iron discipline. And I got support from conference again in setting out those rules. We won't borrow to fund day-to-day spending. We'll bring debt down as the share of our economy. And then only subject to that, we will invest in the things that can boost our productivity, working in conjunction with business to unlock further private sector investment. So today, for example, I set out how a new national wealth fund will be targeted for every pound that we invest, that it unlocks three pounds of private sector investment. That is partnership between government and business in action. You're seeing it around the world. It is unlocking investment around the world. I want those jobs. I want that investment in Britain. And with Labour, we will. And, Shadow Chancellor, none of your colleagues will tell me how fast, after the general election, you plan to have the fastest growth in the G7. 
Isn't that a meaningless mission without a time frame? In the next parliament, we want to achieve that mission of having the highest sustained growth in the G7, with good jobs and productivity in all parts of the country, making everyone, not just a few, better off. And today at conference, and tomorrow in Keir Starmer's speech, we will set out, we have set out today, exactly how we're going to achieve that. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. We bring you news and analysis every day on the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast, but now you can hear the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Search Bloomberg News Now and subscribe today. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.